Are you doing this work to facilitate growth or to become famous? Which is more important, getting or letting go? Kelly Butler is a former Winnipeg Blue Bomber, but he also played in the NFL. Butler now works with indigenous children in Winnipeg. Playing for a purpose, works with young people, providing mentorship and creating opportunities. Kelly, as a black man and a former professional athlete, how are you feeling watching all of this unfold? What's going on? It's your host with the most. I got a good friend on the show. I got Chucky Akobe. What's going on, Chuck? Hey, every day above ground, good day. Let's get that better. Hold on. Every... There we go. There we go. I'm trying to be kind of cool right now. I'm trying to be cool because for, for those that don't know, I went to Purdue from 2000 to 2004. Um, I'm Chucky Jacoby or Big Chuck or Chief Rocca. When what, what were your years there? You were a senior when I was a freshman. Yes or no? Yep. Yeah, I was there 96 to 2000 was my last year. So 96 to 2000. Please tell me um, the offensive line. Cause tell, tell me your story because like, we're going to bring people back in history and then we're going to bring them back to, to the future. So 1996, you know, or whatever you said, say it again for the audience. Let's rock and roll. In 1996 to 2000, 96 was the year that I redshirted in the, the year before Joe Tiller came to Purdue. So, you know, I played four years under Joe Tiller, 97 to 2000. And for those that don't know much about Purdue and, and the, the history of the football program, you know, when Coach Tiller came was when things really turned around for Purdue football. And we really became a force to be reckoned with in the college football world. Now, my senior year. Slow down for a second. Slow down for a sec. You were there before Coach Tiller, and then you saw him come in there as – Seeing a lot of cultures, what what was it that Coach Tiller did that was a, that allowed for him to change the culture um, from your perspective? Well, the biggest thing that he did was make us understand that if we want something this deeply, like to be Big Ten champs, if you want to go to the NFL, if you want to get a degree, it's on you. And whatever story you're telling yourself about how things have gone in the past, you know, because we're not Michigan, because we're not Ohio State, that somehow we're less worthy. He just threw all of that stuff out and essentially led us to come to the conclusion that, hey, we got an opportunity to write our own story. And so that's what we did. You know, it took four years, but it took four years to get to that top of the mountain there in the Big Ten. But recognize that in the first four years of Coach Tiller's tenure, which were the four years I started for him, we never came in less than second place. And before that, before he got there, Purdue had had 13 straight losing seasons. Exactly. Coach Tiller wasn't about any games at all. And the one thing that I remember is for those at that time, 2000, give me your size. How tall are you and how much were you weighing right by the, the offensive line? How tall were you right there? Uh, how tall were you, Chucky? I was six feet tall. Six feet oh, tall. Six feet tall. Six, how much were you? How much were you weighing? Oh, back then, shit, I was like, excuse me, excuse my language. You're fine. You can swear and do whatever you want on this podcast. It's fun. You can have some fun. <laughs> That's all good. No, you know, I was about 315, 320 so you're, back then. So you're playing center at 315. Who's playing guard rush? Who's right guard? Right guard, you know, we had uh, Ian Allen, Big Nate, and Rob Turner was splitting time at right guard. Who, who, was, pl then, uh, who was playing right tackle? Right tackle. Two-time Super Bowl champion Brandon Gorin. Now let's look to uh, who's playing left guard. 
Oh, another two-time Super Bowl champion, Gene Merskowski, played left guard. And who was playing left tackle? Um, the New England Patriots Hall of Famer, Matt Light, three-time Super Bowl champion, was our left tackle. I was so. And who was the coach there? Who was our Who was our O line or our, our, our O line coach at the time? So Danny Hope. Danny Hope. He was. You know, he's the guy who put it all together, made it, made it all happen. Here's something that's really interesting about that offensive line. Now the seniors, myself, Ian Allen, Brandon Gorin, and Matt Light, all came in together in 1996 under the former coach Jim the coach Tiller King. But check this out. I was the only offensive lineman in that class. Those other three didn't play online when they got to Purdue. Hey, you want to hear something funny? Coach Tiller, um, and here's for, for, for those that are getting ready to go into college football, I have a lot of people that we coach and mentor. You're hearing from um, one of the greatest players I've ever played with um, as far as being able to mentor and lead. And here's one of the things is if you think you play one position, Coach Tiller in the Big Ten or college football changes so much because what would happen is when you're a freshman coming into camp, you go to camp before everybody else, and then it's just you and the freshmen. So it's like 20, 30 people people there and then the seniors come in and then we have one-on-ones can you tell them about the one-on-ones as far as and there's a reason where i'm going somewhere is where there's a lot of defensive linemen that come into purdue and they switch to o-linemen there's a lot of tight ends that came into purdue that switched to tackle and and when we would play back then and you would have a young offensive lineman come what was your initial thoughts i'll go in there a sec mm-hmm. you know saying what was it when you when you see people switch the position in college because what happens is a lot of people come into college thinking they're going to play one position and they get switched to another. You know what I'm saying? How was that for Coach Tiller? How, how was that? The, thing, the biggest thing that I saw, you know, in those four years in Coach Tiller, so much change was happening, you know, from the old Purdue football culture into, you know, what we experienced in our time playing for Coach Tiller. And the thing is, he's got a – the coaches, his job is to put the entire team in the best position to succeed. At the same time, his, another one of his jobs is to put each individual within the team in the best position to succeed. So just because you believe you're uh, a defensive lineman or you believe you're supposed to be playing running back instead of linebacker, you got to understand there's a bigger picture that these coaches who have much, much more experience in football than we do at age 18, 19 years old, where Coach Tiller really sees people's innate talents. What what talent does this individual have? Forget his position. Just where can his talent be most valuable to us as a team and where can he have the most success as an individual? You gotta look at look at Matt Light. Because Matt Light was a tight end and he did not want to play offensive line. If anybody knows anything about football, going from a skill position to O line can feel like a demotion. It's not, but when you're that young it feels like it. it but he didn't want to play he didn't want to play offensive line. And Coach Tiller told him this straight out. He said, okay, you can play tight end if you want to, but I don't have to play you. Oh, yeah, Coach is, so wanna, And the thing about it was Coach Tiller was a great person of cat and mouse and, like, not manipulation. It was his strategy. He was like, if you want something – I want something. So I'm going to put you in a position that you're going to get what you want, but you're not going to like how you get it. So he always made you really reflect on the decision you made and was like, yeah, that didn't really, I didn't think that went all the way through. 
Yeah, I mean, the big thing is, you know, you take a look at a situation like Light was in, and Matt Light was a second-round draft pick. You know, he's made in his NFL career, you know, over $30, $40 million. Won three Super Bowls, New England Patriots Hall of Fame. So I think Coach Tiller knew a thing or two. I think he knew what he was doing. He he really he really did because he brought together a certain level of excellence, a certain level of integrity. And the one thing that I look at that he, we didn't have our names on the back of our jerseys. And at one time that felt like uh, like it felt like how are you going to be identified? But it brought us together. And the one thing that I liked about Coach Tiller is he let young players play before it was popular. Well, that was one of the things that I think put Coach Tiller ahead of a lot of other coaches. He gave you the opportunity to come and play at a university. You had to earn it, but he would allow you to play. Yeah, I mean, that's a big thing is, is recognizing, especially when I think back to my senior year when we were Big Ten champions and the freshmen that we had that were playing, you know, you know, guys like Gilbert Gardner, guys like Stu Swigert in those guys were the best players at their position. And so it's not a matter of, oh, you're, you don't get to play because you're young. So if you earn it, if you're the best player at that position, then Coach Tiller's going to give you that opportunity. And a lot, of these, a lot of these great coaches out there are the same way now. And so it's, it's about understanding that just because you're a freshman – you know, don't believe in your mind that you're somehow less than or less capable. And, you know, and so a lot of those guys who were starting back then, Craig Terrell, uh, you know, Jacques Reeves, all of, these, all of them went on to be draft picks too. So again, Coach Tiller, you know, understanding how to motivate individuals and how to make you really believe in yourself and understand that the, the talent, the reason we gave you that scholarship, the reason we invited you to be a part of this team you know, go out there and, sh- and show us why you deserve it. As you articulate your words very well, when you saw me come on the campus, what was your thoughts and impression of me um, when you saw me or heard about uh, that I had signed there? Well, the big thing is, you know, you're much, much more vertically enhanced than I am. You're a lot taller than me, a lot bigger than me in, in, in that sense. So, you know, I've always been, you know, all those years I played in the Big Ten, I was the shortest scholarship lineman in the whole conference. All the years I played in the NFL, I was the shortest offensive lineman. And so that, you know, didn't necessarily give me opportunities to be drafted as high as, say, Matt Light was drafted. And so I remember looking at you and and really recognizing the value and and the the talent that you inherently had coming in. And And so just to be totally transparent, you know, there's a little bit of jealousy there. But I look at it as an older brother because you always had my back. And then what I was going to talk about earlier in the, game, in, in the podcast was Matt Light was, you know, the leader of leaders that I loved. And you were like the public enemy of leaders. And I remember when we would go do one-on-ones for everybody that really wanted that podcast. And, and, and Chuck Iacobi is one of the best office linemen I've ever played with. If you heard of Dominic Rayola, he's basically the black version and get the credit. He, he, Chuck, you were cold. And I remember the first day that we did one-on-ones, you guys came to me and said, Kelly, when you go one-on-ones, if you can pancake them, ride them like a bull. Matt like told me. Mm-hmm. And I remember this like it was yesterday. Dave Owens was a big time tackle. I mean, big time defensive end out of um, Texas. Six, 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 five, big, big guy. 
And I was like, I got to get ready to rock and roll because I knew I wasn't that smart. And we'll get into that. But I knew, I, I, maybe I perceived myself not being smart, but I knew I was very aggressive and I could fight really well and I had good feet. So I shot my hands, boom, boom, boom. Pancake him, start riding him like a bull. Boom, first person comes over, Matt Mitrione dummies me. <laughs> dummies me. Then all of a sudden, you go out like, like, woo, let's get it, baby. And then you come over like a big brother and just take off, like WWE wrestling, knock off one person. And then all of a sudden, Matt Light comes, I'm like, this is college football. And then after that, I was like, fuck it, I'm in this group. And then you get kind of, we're a bigger brother because I remember we played Central Michigan. And that was before, like, mm -hmm. we played two games. And then you guys started, I think we blew him out by, like, 40 or 50. And then I got to play as a true freshman before I redshirted. And then you hit Ken, I was like, yeah, you did okay, little fella. I was like, yo, Chucky gave me some props. And then I didn't play, but I watched how you conducted yourself as a senior and, and as a leader, as a black man playing center. Do you realize how much history is being made as far as you might not have gotten your flowers as a player through accolades, but to what, which, which for me, I saw you as greatness. Do you realize that? Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. The big thing is like things like accolades to be. I mean, we played with one of the most decorated college football players there ever was in Drew Brees. So it's like, I wouldn't really worried about all of that. It's about I, where, where am I? But Chuck, what, I got a question what, for you. You were more secure than I was. And I was kind of trying to... to be the better version of you guys. You know, I came in there, you guys had started all those games. So my junior year, I got 36 starts. I didn't get the accolades. Some other players didn't. Coach Tiller challenged me, but I interpreted the wrong way and left early. And I look back at mm -hmm. Purdue and saying like, being able to come back now, as I've talked about previous podcasts, Sometimes can you look back at college and say you did it right because your ego or coach Tiller didn't let us have an ego and I can tell me from my personal experience my ego put me in a very bad position. Do you see ego and athletes getting people in trouble? Yeah, I think you know this is this is a lot of the work I do now working with with individuals is you know when when you look back at things, you know, you hear the old cliche hindsight is 2020 and you know a lot of things we wish we could go back and do it differently with the with the insight and experience and knowledge we have now, it's recognizing that everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. You know, getting the accolades and or not getting the accolades, getting the playing time or not getting the playing time. Everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. The question is, those things that when you think back didn't go the way you wanted them to, the question you got to ask yourself is, okay, so what did I learn? Because whatever you learned is something you're going to be able to use in the future. You can't go back and change any of that stuff. So let's slow down right now. Before we go any further, what do you do now, right now? 2021, February, you're doing the check-in. We have Chucky Kobe, former um, Purdue offensive lineman, played in the NFL eight years. What are you currently doing now? Um, my company, my coaching and consultancy company is called Basic Instructions. It's Mind Mastery. What I do is I'm a coach consultant on mental performance for venture capitalists, startup founders, entrepreneurs, C-level executives, and 
comes to do leadership and sales training for corporations. Please slow that and down. Do. Please slow that down. With my podcast, I tell my guys, like Coach Hope told us, to write that down. And as you're coaching, because I'm listening, start that over and, and, and rename that po- what your company's called because I, I got basic instructions and then I need you to kind of start over. Remember how Coach Hope will make us use the stand bag to listen? So I'm listening right mm-hmm. now and saying, can you repeat it a little bit for the audience and slow it down because I'm still writing and I don't spell well. So slow it down a little bit for me, please, Big Chuck. It's all good. It's all good. My consulting and coaching company is called Basic Instructions My Mastery. Okay. And I'm an integrated I'm an integrated psychology expert, a mental performance coach and consultant for venture capitalists, startup founders and entrepreneurs, and C suite professionals. And what I do is I educate and empower leaders and companies to cultivate the limitless mindset, a true work life harmony to reach their ideal personal professional life balance inside. You know, it's, it's like understanding that the human mind is like a supercomputer and we're all walking around with one. Yet most of us don't aren't in touch with the idea. Something that coach Tilly used to talk, just used to touch on a lot is that your thoughts dictate your life, dictate your results. And so when you're not necessarily getting the results you want in any area, like in your family, in your marriage, in your health and fitness, in your relationship with God, it's about, you know, what's going on inside. What's the conversation I'm having with myself every day? Because whatever that, whatever well, that dominant you conversation got, is. You got so many nuggets right there. We got to slow down because that was one of the things as an engineering mindset that we have at Purdue. We have a diverse group of listeners and you are speaking on such high level stuff. Let's let's slow down and go to limitless mindset. Where did you come up with the terminology limitless mindset? What does that mean? Well, limitless, you know, really goes back to, you know, if you remember, I think it was 2014, the movie with Bradley Cooper called Limitless, where he took a pill and was able to access 100% of his brain uh, capacity. You know, and, and it really goes back to you know, the, the brain expert, the the most notorious brain expert there is nowadays, Jim Quick. And, you know, he had a book come out last year called Limitless. And it talks about how we can access, you know, all of the inherent tools we have with this supercomputer called the human mind, but we don't need a pill. And so it's, it's really goes back to recognizing the things that we believe about ourselves, about our capabilities. And, Understanding that all of our behavior is based on what you believe you can do. Let me interject for a quick second. Have you always had this limited mindset um, or did this kind of progress before college, during college, after college? How have you developed where you are now for our listeners? Because you are on point for somebody that's trying to get to where you are or trying to find a starting point. When did you start doing some self-reflection and being able to be introverted to be able to, 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 to internalize some of these, these, be, the, this and articulate it? When did you start being able to really know yourself as well as you do? You know what? I'm so glad you asked me this question because I'm going to tell you a story that, y'all let me get through the story real quick. It started at Purdue. It started at Purdue. So when I, in 96, Jim Coletto gave me a scholarship. Now, that was the only scholarship offer I, I received from any college coach. Redshirted in 96, and then after that season, Coach Coletto resigned. So I'm freaking out. Like, I felt just nervous and insecure because 
even though this wasn't true, this is what I thought at the time. Well, Coach Tiller didn't offer me a scholarship at Wyoming, so he must think I'm no good. He, he never said that, but that was what I believed at 18 years old. So I figured I either got to, I can either leave or I got to make this work because I'm already here. I already got the scholarship. I'm already on a Big Ten team. What else do you want? So I started looking. I got to find an advantage. I got to find some sort of advantage over my teammates, over the other people in this conference. And everybody's lifting weights. Everybody's practicing. Everybody's watching film. And I'm doing that too. So what more can I do to gain an advantage? So I started by looking. I went to a used bookstore near campus and just started looking at books. I didn't know what I was looking for. But I was just looking for an advantage, something that, you know, it's a used bookstore, so it's like kind of looking in the trash. I figured something's in here that nobody I know is going to know about. And I found this book. And the title of the book is The Secret to Creating Your Future by Dr. Tad James. And I just started reading it. And it was this narrative about this young man who wanted to do something big, but he didn't know exactly how to do it. And it kind of walks you through his story and gives you different things so that you can start to organize your mind to achieve the results you want in your life. At that time, I just wanted to play. I just wanted to play. I'm the short lineman that nobody wanted. That's what I thought. I said, nope, I want to play. Whoever this Joe Tiller guy is, I'm going to show him. So I started just really incorporating that. And it sent me down a rabbit hole, you know, going to, the internet, reading other books on how to cultivate the mindset and really create the results you want in, in, in your life and in your world. For me, the big thing was it was all about sports performance at that point. And it really, really made a big difference in terms of controlling my mind. And there's a mantra that I, you know, I never told any of my teammates, I never told anybody when we were at Purdue that I was doing this. That I was doing this for years before you even came. I never told Coach Hope. What's a mantra? Never told anybody. What's a mantra? Mantra is a saying that you, you repeat to yourself to prime your mind to you know really exude a certain vibration, a certain mindset, if you will. And the mantra, the mantra that I came up with back in '97 was the mind commands, the body obeys. The mind commands, the body obeys. And I would say that to myself all day long, all the time. So it's like that way when I got on the field, all I had to do was think about what I want to happen. And then my body would follow. The brain controls the body. And so that's where it really all started for me. That's In fact, it, it, when Coach Taylor came, mm-hmm. you know what? When you talk, remember to say, get your mind right? Like, I took that real serious. So did I. And I, and I think that I'm going to go right into it. You said something about vibrations. Please talk about frequencies and vibrations and, and what that means. And, and elaborate on that, please. Well, everything everything in, in, in life is a certain vibration. Everything, you know, from, you know, anything solid. If you, if you look at the table, that table only exists in that solid form because it's it's existing at a certain vibration, vibrational level. And so to me, you know, when we talk about the law of attraction and, you know, like attracts like, we tend to attract those things that are existing at the same vibration that we are. 
And so it's, it's all about understanding how everything in this world is energy without getting into a deep scientific discussion about it. But, you know, it's, you know, when I talk about reaching a certain vibration, the way I always like to put it to young, young athletes who have aspirations of playing maybe, you know, power five, college football, NFL football, I had to become an NFL player. I had to find that vibration within myself if I was ever going to have that happen in my real life. I had to become an NFL player first if I was ever going to get drafted. And so that's where... Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's, know, that's so deep. You said you had to become an NFL player before you became an NFL player? I'm, I'm, I'm like... Yes. All right, tell me that now. So it wasn't that you became an NFL player, then you had an NFL mindset? You had the mindset before you were in the NFL, Chucky? You have to. I mean, to me, it's like this. And this is something that we used to say, you know, when we got together on the sideline before the games, the, the, our offensive line. You know, Light was the, was the main guy, you know, but to me, I was the vocal one. I was the one always talking. I was the first one to jump in the fight, the last one to run away. That was the role I played. And I used to say it to the group. I said, hey, we're the greatest offensive line in the world. And, and you know what? You know, Breeze is great. But when they when they show this game on SportsCenter, they're going to be showing highlights of us. That's how good we are. Can you see it? And they say, yeah, yeah, I can see it. I said, I don't believe you. I can, can you see it? Close, close your eyes. Can you see it in your mind? Can you see how great we are? Oh, God. My eyes are closed. I see you in a Speedo. That's what I see. So please tell people the Speedo story since we have to close my eyes and mindly remember when you were in a Speedo. Tell the Speedo story with the whole offensive line. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a, a Matt Light in, invention right there. He had this idea that we were going to go out and take, you know, take on picture-on-picture day in Speedos and shoulder pads, and that's it. And I was like, I'm not doing that. That sounds fruity, dude. I'm not, I'm not doing that. But he said, no, we all got to do it. So I said, okay, if everybody else agrees to do it, then I'll do it. I'm not going to be the one guy to, to refuse. And I just figured somebody was going to, somebody else would say no, but nobody else said no. So like got the, you know, from the athletic department, got the speedos, you know, with the, with the Purdue emblem on it. And we went out and we took a picture. Now that picture ended up in USA today. Every single game we played in that 2000 season, they put that picture on national TV. And it's funny because when we were at Penn State, I'll never forget, we were in the huddle and, in you know, in between quarters. So we're just standing there waiting for the quarter to start. And the ref comes into the huddle. And he says, I got to ask you guys a question. And he reaches it in his pocket and he pulls out this picture of us in Speedos. And is like, what is the deal with this picture? And so that picture has followed us around ever since for the last 20, 20, not going on 21 years. And the thing that you don't say is, here was the tagline with it. A little protection goes a long way. That's, I was like, yeah. that, was, that was marketing genius. That was the thing that yeah. Matt, Matt Light was able to market his idea that would bring everybody in. And then you would always be like the one like, I ain't doing it. But Matt was so good at convincing people. I remember a Matt Light story when you guys played against Ohio State. 
And remember when he called Coach Olsen and pretended to be the D-line? And Coach Olsen, like Matt, Matt Light would always call Coach Olsen and pretend to be the D-line, because I'm young. So you got Matt Light stories for days, but can you confirm that Matt Light would call Coach Greg Light Olsen and pretend to be the D-line? Is this, yeah. please? What Light did is he called, because at that point, going into that Ohio State game, our O-line was so good. Like, I don't know if Breeze had been sacked all year. And so one of their players, Joe Cooper, was the team captain. And he was talking trash in the paper how we were, they were going to get, they were, they were going to be the ones to get to the quarterback. So Light called up Greg Olson, who I believe he, he still, he, I don't know if he's still coaching for yeah. the Chargers. No, nah, he's, he's with Las Vegas. He's the OC at Las Vegas or the quarterback coach at Las Vegas, okay. Las Vegas Raiders. Okay. So with Las Vegas, and he was our quarterback coach at that time. So Light called him up and pretended to be Joe Cooper, and so he called he called up uh, <laughs> he called up Coach Olsen, and he was like, "Hey, this Joe Cooper from Ohio State, you know me. Not only are we going to get to your little furry face friend, but I'm gonna come to the sideline and spit in your face when I do it. That's right, word from Joe Cooper. And he hung up the phone." And Chris left that message for Coach Olsen. <laughs> and Coach Olsen came to practice like, man, you won't believe who just called me. <laughs> That's classic Matt Light, though. And guess, for you. and guess what? Y'all ran with it, too, though. Y'all ran with that. Yeah. And, and and I was like, the thing that I look at, what was your degree in? Because one thing I always had is you you, you have a lot of pride. You carry yourself as a great man off the field. You were very much a mentor and very much positive. What was your degree in? Because I look at what you're doing as something that I want to, because I'm going back to Purdue starting the summer. You know, what did you what did you major in? I was liberal arts. I majored in communication. And so, you know, a lot of, a lot of, even a lot of what I do right now, you know, with the psychology expertise is recognizing the connection between how we communicate not only with other people, but how we communicate with ourselves and how that affects the way we experience life. You had, you had alluded to earlier, and, when I, and I said, hey, let's because I called you earlier and said, we're going to get this on the podcast. And you said, the perception of being smart and the perception of not thinking you're smart and how the advantages of being able to be think you're smarter than what you are and the disadvantages of maybe somebody saying you're not smart and carrying that mental uh, misconception throughout sports or throughout life. Well, big thing is, you know, especially for for people of color, there are preconceived notions that go back generations that somehow people of color are less intelligent. You know, there was there used to have been beliefs in the past that it was inherent that it was something in the the brain of of those of the Negro persuasion that was somehow inferior. The fact is, that's not true. It's it's simply understanding that the world that we experience is happening inside of our heads. People outside of us, teachers, parents, anybody else can say what they want. However, you know, you, we all have the choice to believe what we want. You know, there's nobody else inside your mind thinking your thoughts or feeling your feelings. So when you make the decision that I can and I am, you just have to have the the will to stick to your opinion 
over anybody else's. So, so let's, and this is, let's go there before. Yeah. Um, when you say, you know, internal voices, and if you're not religious or spiritual, then that sounds like schizophrenia. How, how, how can we work? No. Nope. This is my misinterpretation. It's, it's, Help me understand this. It's, it's not religious at all. Every single person, you, me, my mom, every even little kids have an internal dialogue with ourselves. Well, when you have a thought, you, you it, it's articulated, you know, in textually, where you're going to hear yourself say something to yourself. So, so it's not like so, hearing voices, like, like I'm hearing all these different voices. I'm talking about your internal monologue and I'm that you, you're talking to yourself. When you talk about your internal monologue and you're able to self-reflect and internalize and those thoughts have a break in it or a crack in them and you see schizophrenia. And when you talk about the, the breakdown of the mind and looking at it from what you said, um, please remind the people what you do again for those listeners that are, are, are really in depth. What is it that you do now? I'm a mental performance coach for high level Professionals, venture capitalists, startup founders, C-suite professionals. And when you look at those kind of envi in that environment, the Wolf of Wall Streets, and, and my background in psychology is working working with mental health issues um, and mental health in the mind. A lot of those people have you know sociopathic behaviors. A lot of the CEOs and those people that mindset, that energy is very similar to the competitive uh, level of football. You know, that same sort of energy, that same sort of testosterone. But when somebody has that mental mindset and it's not, you know, everything that was positive is now counterproductive. How do you reset that clock as a coach or a consultant? I don't want to give out too much free information, but can you give out some helpful tips? Well, it's, it's, actually, it's actually really simple. And, and that's, that's the funny thing is, you know, to change the way our minds are wired or programmed to fit what it is we want to experience or what, what goals we have if we're, you know, changing, you know, going from professional athlete into what we'll call civilian life and working a job that's not, you know, on television and everyone's not watching you. However, you still have high, you still have big goals and ambitions the same way you did as an athlete. And so it's about adapting the functions of your, of your brain, of, of your mind, the way you think, the way you interpret different things as positive and negative. It's, it's actually pretty simple. And it, what it is is understanding the way that our mentality as, as our development as human beings happens naturally. And so basically between the ages of zero and seven, our minds are in what they're called a, a theta brainwave which is the same as hypnosis. And so most of the people don't realize a lot of the things we believe about ourselves were determined before age seven. So when, you know, when people believe that they're smart or they're funny or they're not good enough, a lot of those things come from experiences earlier in life. And then all of a sudden you go through life and we continue to interpret our world to support our belief about ourselves. Now, the, the, the good thing about this is that that's, that doesn't have to be a permanent program. And that understanding that the theta wave is no different than hypnosis. So going back to what I was talking about before, when I came up with a mantra, when I repeated that mantra to myself every single day, I was installing a program into my mind. That is so, hypnosis. So hold on a second. Now, when you upload a new program with the theta wave, can you get back on a new frequency to reprogram yourself at later in life, in your opinion? You, you can do it. I, that's what I do for people. That's literally what I do. 
So, you, so, basically, so if I, so basically if I'm interpreting this and hearing this, you're leveling up people that are, let's say out of frequency, getting them back in tune to be on beat for life or back on track and boil her up. Is that, what, one, is that, is that that's, what I'm hearing? That's, that's one way to look at it. That's one way to look at it. The big thing is with individuals, I'm working with them on specific challenges that they're having. So somebody might be having a lot of success as a professional. They may be making eight, nine figures. Eight, but eight, nine, they, did you say eight or nine figures? They might be. So you just, you know, think about it like this. Think about it like this. Somebody may have a lot of success professionally or financially. However, that doesn't necessarily mean they feel good about their life. They may be having troubles in their, in their health. They may be having troubles with their marriage. And so what it is, is if they're having a, a, a problem, let's just say in their, in their marriage, you know, they got, they're doing great. Their business is doing great, but, this issue at home is really, really bothering them. It's simply about what program are they running as it pertains to their family? Because the program that they're running at work is obviously working. But why? So if I can have sex, excuse me, if I can have success in this way that most people don't even believe is possible, how come I can't even get along with my wife? And so that's where, you know, we need to, determine what program are we running as it pertains to that area of my life. That's going to be impactful and empowering. How long have you been doing this now for? Uh, basic Instructions, uh, company, I've been doing this almost four years. And previously before Basic Instructions, what were you doing before that? Um, I, you know, I had a lot of different ventures, you know, part of a partner in a venture company called City Ventures in Omaha. I've owned uh, bed and breakfast, car dealerships, car washes. You know, I was really had a lot of different things going. The thing is, this mindset programming that we're talking about, I've been doing this since '97 with Coach Tilly. And I've only been doing I've only been doing it professionally the last four years. And that's the biggest thing is when you look behind the scenes. A lot of times, people finally see you, but they didn't know what you were doing, and now they see your ethics and they see the results. Now, currently married, single, kids. Where where are we at in our life right now, uh, Chucky? Well, I'm married. I'm married. Been married about three years. My wife Felicia. We're here in Kansas City. Don't have any kids just yet, but you know that's coming up here shortly in the future. But, you know, it's, you know my my whole thing is is showing other people the same way that I took control of my mind at Purdue and created success. Anybody can do the same. And, and the one thing, you know, not everybody, wants, not everybody wants football. Sometimes they want something else. And we talk about life after football and that limitless mindset and that mantra that you've been motivating me throughout this process. And congratulations on, on being married for three years. I'm transitioning out of a marriage, going into a, a new stage of being single at 38. But I look at you in your mentoring style and saying, anything is possible. And now that I'm a father, um, also Aiken's a father and Nico's a father and Drew's a father. Um, I'm not sure about certain other athletes you played with. It's a different perspective on how we approach life after football being fathers, you know, and, and being, you know, and, and, and do you see yourself now as an activist, as a black man being Black History Month? Do you see the, the role being magnified, you know, for you still having to step up even more now uh, compared to when you were playing at Purdue and, and having black leadership step outside of that box now? Do you find yourself um, having, being more empowered or finding yourself having to step up more now? Or is this something that you just always naturally do? Well, no, you know, learning about, 
the mind and how to take control to your results, you know, gave me a feeling, a, a true feeling of empowerment, you know, back when I was at Purdue, you know, because everything was really tied to the results I was getting on the field. And so, you know, you go through life once football was over, different areas of life, you know, you run into difficulties. And was I was found myself in a position where I needed to adapt those same strategies, those same programs that I did to find success in football, just adapted to the life I'm living now. And so that's what really led me to start basic instructions back in 2017 and, and start to show other people that whatever results you want, you can get. And so to me, I would say now I'm probably more empowered than I was back then simply because I have more um, experience. More experience. I've, I've overcome challenges in my life. I've helped other people look, look. to realize that they can too have ex- be doing have exactly what they want in their life and in their businesses. And so I would say now I'm probably more empowered to to help people become empowered themselves that's truly amazing and i look at this as far as empowering and seeing people that have you've made the transition um successfully from life after football um in that period when you realized that football was over um you had you played eight years um where'd you play it again so for 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 the listeners that might not be familiarized with your career um tell them your career i played six years was drafted in the fifth round by my hometown Pittsburgh steelers and played there for six seasons. I also played one season for Arizona Cardinals, and my final season was with the Houston Texans. All right, now the transition, so, sorry not to cut you off, the transition after football, was it challenging? Mm-hmm. How was that? That, 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 until you restabilized or found the new pattern being a civilian, as you, you, had, you had used that terminology earlier, how was that transitional bridge from what you had known to something new? What was that like? It's it, it's a cha- it was challenging. It was it was it was difficult. And the biggest thing is because when you play football, play sports, or done anything really for a good majority of your life at that point, at age thirty, you know that's your. Especially in American culture, we identify ourselves by what we do. If you teach all the time, you're a teacher. If you drive trucks all the time, you're a truck driver. So if you play football all the time, which I've been doing for the last 15 plus years. And that's how I identify myself. Now, all of a sudden, that aspect of your life is taken away or it's, it's no longer there. And so what most, what the way I see it from my perspective is most athletes, when we have these challenges and struggle after sports, it's identity crisis. We don't necessarily know who we are because a lot of us, we've identified ourselves as a strong safety or as a receiver or as a left guard. And we believe that's who we are. But the thing is, you're so much more than that. And now that that's gone, it's time to start. It's time to tap into the other powers that you have, the other value that you bring to the world. Say that, and that, again, can be, say that again, other powers. So there's more than one superpower is what you're saying? No, we, each one of us is, is the owner of the most powerful force, natural force on earth. And that is the human mind. Now, elaborate, elaborate, go in there. The human mind, what do you mean it's the most powerful? Help me understand. I I didn't pay attention when I was in college. Now, every single invention that's ever happened on this earth from 
the wheel to the Hubble telescope started as one idea in one human's mind. And then they had to call, you know, cultivate that idea, take that inspiration and, 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 and ramp up the motivation to take action, to bring that idea out of their mind into real life. Now here's the thing. We each have one of those human minds. So we look at the fact that just this past week, we landed perseverance on Mars. These human beings made that happen with their human mind. When you look at, you know, vaccines that are, that are killing and, and stopping the spread of infectious diseases, those are human minds that made that happen. We went to Purdue. Neil Armstrong, first man to step on the moon. How did he get there? Human mind. Everything starts in the mind, and if we as human beings bring it into the world. That's what I learned back then when I was scared and Coach Tiller was coming in and I started taking control of the mind. You That's stop, where the mantra comes stop from. Stop right there. You, the mind stop commands, right the you, body obeys. The mind commands, the body obeys, and you got to stop for a second because in the mindset, especially in the black community, we're not going to Mars. But we do need to take this vaccine to be able to get these numbers under control. Why is it in the black community they're afraid of the vaccine so much more than the white community? In your opinion, from you know, you know, yeah. Please do elaborate. Well, to me, there's you know the thing with black people in this country is you know for generations we've been through a lot, and this and this is a perspective. I don't know if a lot of people will see it this way, but. I tend to be in my own head a lot. And so I have different opinions that I don't necessarily just subscribe to what everyone else is saying. And what it is is that with everything that's happened throughout history with people of color in this country, you know, if we go back to, you know, however many hundreds of years or almost 500 years at this point with the slave trade and whatnot, you know, we as a people have found it difficult to trust the establishment. And with good reason. We don't even have to get into details about that. <laughs> we have, you know, yeah, black people. We, got, we ain't got to go there. We, we, if you got eyes or ears or anything, there's a reason not to, to be skeptical of certain situations and certain people. Yeah, and, and so to me, it, it's right in line with that skepticism of, you know, is this is what the government and the establishment is what they're suggesting. I do or not do good for me because if I go back years and years and years, hundreds of years, nothing they told me that I should do was good for me. And, you know, I think that that after generations of that, it becomes, it, it can start to, you know, be, be interwoven with the, with the, just the general mentality. Because you got to think about the general the general mentality of not being valued but being strong and being undervalued means you can work and get cheap labor and make them feel like they're not they're inferior and be able to control them by not being able to tell them the truth. Well, yeah, I can't really speak for I can because, you know, this isn't my area of expertise in terms of how those dynamics work. It's especially, you know, what you know, people in this country were thinking back then. I, I have no idea. Because I All I know is this. My point is this is like planning a thought. You think about Inception, you talk about limitless. How that thought is planted, positive or negative, if it's planted too deep, it's hard to unroot that thought. But with with going through your program... Well, stop, well, stop, 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 stop. 
I got to stop you right there. It's not hard to get rid of that thought because I do it every day with people. <laughs> helping people, I've helped military people with PTSD, rape victims, and trauma that people think they can't get rid of. And they actually can't come out pretty fast. Seriously? It's just that most Seriously, like, yes, like is that a misconception? Because people say trauma needs to, it's just, it's always present. Now, is there a difference when, nope. help me out, explain, what do you mean? You're saying it like really serious, so let's go there. I'm gonna let you have the floor, go. I mean, this, this, this is what basic instructions is all about. That's why I call it basic instructions is because we just simply don't know how. You don't know what you don't know. If nobody told you how to do it, you would think it's impossible. But what if it's not? I mean, think about it like this. It's like the Wizard of Oz, bro. And I'm not even going to get into the whole story. But here's the thing. We all seen it. Dorothy thought she was stuck in that situation. The whole time down the yellow brick road, right? But she had the shoes the whole time. But it, you recognize now it wasn't until she got the basic instructions of how they work that she realized how easy it was to get what she wanted, which was to go home. Those shoes are just a metaphor. It's a metaphor for the human mind, bro. Damn, dog. It's just simply most people, most people don't know how to work it. Holy, they don't know how to work it. Holy shit, man. You, you, you made me look at Dorothy in a whole different way in red. You know, I'm thinking about Prince yeah. in a red Corvette. Like, I'm coming back home. Like, real man, come back home. You understand? Like, you can really come back mentally by listening to, like, a red Corvette or watching The Wizard of Oz. Some of the deepest shit you said in a long time. I'm not even that high. Yeah, I'm telling you, bro. It's like, you don't know what you don't know. This is something Coach Cowher used to tell us on the Steelers. You don't know what you don't know. Because and it's what you don't know that you don't know. That's running the show. You know what that is? That's the four so, levels. That's the four levels of, of competence. You don't know what you don't know. Then you think. Then then you um, know you don't know it. Is your unconscious? Your unconscious, unconscious. Is your unconscious uh, conscious? Then it's your conscious uh, unconscious, and it's your conscious conscious. So like you don't know what you don't know. Then there's coaches that know you don't know what you don't know. But once you know what you know, you're confident in doing it. Then you're competently confident. So it's like four or five levels. I know so, what you're talking about. So. So, so, so tie, so tie that to what, to, to what you've known as, as common knowledge that, you know, things get rooted and then it's too deep to get out or trauma is always present. That's, that's what you've known. You're not, you know, you're not wrong. You're not, you're not less intelligent than me. You just only know what you know. The thing is, there are ways to release these things, to change these things very fast. I mean, think about it. If somebody you know, has an encounter with a shark. They, you know, was in the ocean and they were, you know, got bit by a shark or whatever. They may instantly form a phobia of sharks, instantly. It doesn't take long. It just, you know, the, the shark came, I got bit, it hurt, I'm injured, all this, now, boom, just like that, like a lightning bolt, you got a phobia. So if, if, you, can, if you can change your mind in that instance that fast, why can't you do it the other way? Why can't why can't you get rid of the phobia fast? That's the. I mean, I think that's a like. I think that's like when we look at sports. On to the next play. Don't let the the the, 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 the be focus on the current play. Um, be aware of the situation, but be able to you know what I've heard. Be gentle with your thoughts because sometimes you know human error or making a mistake. I think that's you know the misconception is like. I think who is to believe because what your basic instructions are saying, they are correct. But as somebody that needs to find you. How can we find you? Where do we find your consulting company? How do we how do we reach out to be able to promote this? Because this information is is very beneficial. Because a lot of times people are giving out 
you know, the wrong information and, and not getting the results. It seems like the things that you're saying, you've gotten the results and you're helping people get the results. You know, how do we find you? What, what social media platforms are? Where can we find you? Best social media platform is LinkedIn, for sure. And, you know, my website is basicinstructions.com. And, and if somebody is struggling right now, is really, really struggling, and for whatever reason they can't get a hold of you, but they hear this tomorrow on the check-in during Black History Month. Uh, we got about five or six more minutes to go. Back, we're just coming back and forth, but we're coming towards the end of the podcast. What would you say to, to, to people right now that you know need some 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 direction? Number one, I would say whatever you think you are, you're a lot more than that. Whatever you think you are, you are way, way, way more than that. And is simply understand that whatever you believe, whatever issue is happening right now, that you believe is never, never going to go away. Things are never going to be the same. Not going to be able to find fulfillment, satisfaction, happiness in the future. Don't believe it. Anytime you hear a thought, you hear something about yourself that's not empowering, any thought in your mind, any idea in, or situation in which you end up the loser, just simply don't believe it. Just simply don't believe it. Because on election day, every single person gets one vote. So somebody else's opinion is equal to yours. You get one vote too. So why would I listen to somebody else who has something negative to say when I can just choose to go with what I think, which is by law, is equal. If you meet somebody that has two votes on election day, you might want to listen to them. But that person doesn't exist. They don't exist. What did so, you, you say? You meet, you meet a motherfucker with two votes on election day, you want to ask, yo, what's up, man? I only got one. <laughs> you better listen to him. He gets, he, gets, he gets to say more. He gets more say than you. But nobody, but there isn't that person doesn't exist. Nobody gets to say more about you in your life than you. Everyone's opinion is, is, is what there is. Don't believe anything negative about you, especially if it's you saying it to yourself. Don't just don't believe it. Shit, man. Because hey. Kelly, I'm telling you, uh, you know, you know where I got the idea from? Where? Joe Tiller. Joe Tiller. Joe Tiller. Damn, this man is good. Like I, like honestly, with my parents passing away at a young age, mm -hmm. Coach Tiller passing right. away. I feel like he's engineering my mind and sometimes when I'm sitting there just in my mind, I hear his voice and he helps me create these thoughts and helps me work through it and reevaluate and come back. And I'm like, I'm very grateful for them. And that's kind of when I had talked about spirituality early on as far as having not having the success and not having the ability to connect to people like you previously, spirituality played a big piece into being able to try and reset myself until I was able to find people like you to talk to. You know, so I think that's one of those things. That's, go ahead. Spirituality is important. You know, if you have a spiritual practice, you know, you know whether it's the traditional uh, spiritual practices that we find in this country, or you just have your own relationship with your higher power, it's important. It's important. And it's a big part of success. And, you know, with all the mindset mastery and, and psychology that I've learned and applied over the years to find success, there was never a time when I didn't pray to my higher power. It was always part of the equation. And so, yeah, that makes a, a total sense. And, you know, 
especially having played for Coach Tiller the years that I played for him, I can I can definitely attest to when you're in college, when you're in your teens and twenties and you're listening to this, you know, quote unquote old man telling you about how things are, you don't necessarily want to hear it. But the thing is, he's saying it because he knows at some point in time they're gonna remember what I said and it's gonna make sense. I can't I, you know so what, on that one right there, it's kinda like Coach Tiller made you grow up, regardless if you were ready or not. He made you hear some things. He didn't really care if you liked it. And he was like, it's right. And he knew it was right. And that was the thing about it was he, he, he wasn't mean about it. He was very direct. And it was like, you're going to need this sooner or later. So I'm giving it to you right now. And because this is part of being a student athlete. And, and I respect him more now because I'm now mature to understand it. And I kind of look back at coaches that didn't challenge me, and I'm very disappointed in the coaches that held me back. And I didn't have any of those. But for the coaches that aren't pushing you, push yourself. You know what I'm saying? Because when you look at life, you're going to look back at people that either, you know, you're going to look back at yourself and say, why didn't I challenge myself? You know, and that's one of the things I see about Coach Tiller. He wasn't about you not challenging yourself. Well, he, he knew that success or lack thereof is all on you as an individual. Like what, whether you whether you get to play or not as an athlete, that's on you. And he said, we, we, you know, how many people leave school and they didn't get, you know, they didn't get drafted, they didn't get the opportunities, and they point the finger at, well, if coach would have done this. No, it's you, man. It's always been you. And to me, because nobody else is, is living your life. Nobody else is in your shoes or in your mind or in your heart except you. And so if you don't take control if you don't, if, if you want, if you feel like you can't, or you feel like you're not, but you want to be able to do it, you want to be able to say, yeah, yeah, I know I can, and I know I am good enough. That's on you. <laughs> Nobody else is going to fix that for you. No one. I can't. I, you know, I can't live life for you. You know what? So, you know, that's what. That's why, you know, what I do is basic instructions. I'm giving you the instructions. I'm telling you to click three times. I can't click your shoe. You, you wearing the shoes, Dorothy. You got to click three times. <laughs> I got a question for you. And, you. and you're amazing at this. And your mindset, your mantra, the last M I'm going to ask about is, is there music? Do you, are you motivated by music? What's your music style? Because back in the day, you were very musical. Are you still a musical well, man? Are you still very motivated by music? Very much so. The thing is, the way I use the music, it, it's, it's, it was mental programming. And that you, you know, I, and I started this process at Purdue actually is when you create playlists, you know, you think back to late nineties, we're talking about mixtapes and, and going into burning your own CDs. I would put certain songs in certain orders and each song you listen to, you get the energy Hold on, from that artist. Your audience that you're listening to is, is the spin community. It's the music community. So when you talk about playlists and talk about mental mindsets, people are curious to hear your playlist. Can you give me some play, some of your songs on your playlist? Like your top, like, you know, I'm just, I'm going to write down because you have an order of playlists and I know this is going to be an easy question for you. Write down like one of Chuck Kobe's playlists in college and walk me through a few of your tracks. I'm just going to, and I'm just going to let them speak for themselves. So, you, you know, know the songs, to me, there's there's a lot. You think about artists and musicians. I don't care what kind of music you're doing, whether it's country, pop, hip-hop, doesn't matter. These, the artists today are the equivalent of, like, the, the chanters in ancient Hawaii. 
where they are able to move us with their vocal talents by telling us stories, you know, and, and moving our emotions and, and changing our energy. So to me, I would choose artists that at that time spoke to me in that way. And so you think about songs, you think about songs like, um, you know, artists, when I think about artists, the first artists that come to mind are like Mob Deep, Nas, Wu-Tang Clan. And, you know, I think about songs like with Mob Deep, um, Eye for an Eye, you know, say, an eye for an eye. We end this together, son. Your beef is mine. And that was my mentality going into battle with my teammates. So I would listen to that. As time goes by, an eye for an eye. We end this together, son. Your beef is mine. As long as the sun shines to light up the sky, we end this together, son. Your beef is mine. And that would put me into that mentality. I'm out here for my teammates, man. I'm out here. We're going to war. Whatever. whatever it's whatever. And if you, you, if, and you if, was about to. not like it's a fight, then I'm in a fight, too. And I was like, I'm coming off the bench. I'm coming to get in this thing, too. And that was the thing that I loved about it, uh, Chucky. I want to say thank you. I want to say that in a moment of reaching out to you a couple days ago, you were like, I got you, Kay, Friday, Saturday or Sunday. You called me, and this interview is by far one of the best interviews I've had in my in my career. Not on my podcast, in my career. What you said, how you said it, how you've articulated, how you've made it us understandable on so many levels. Um, the audience appreciates it. I appreciate this. I would like to be able to talk to you more in depth. I would love to be able to, to try and be able to, to, to ask for some guidance off the record um, and be able to talk about it on the record. But I want to say thank you so much. Um, and we're going to push out of here. Uh, this is your host with the most, your boy KB. Check us out at the push with uh, the push at gmail.com. And last time, uh, the song that you would say describes you best right now, not Mob D back then, right now, who would you say the song that describes you best? And we're going to move out. Some, I'm going to play Kid Rock on the way out of here, but I'm going to figure out what's the song that describes you right now see if I got my buttons programmed to see if I can push one of the songs you might be the person you are right now. Who can you most relate to as an artist right now and see if my if my board is programmed to play the song out? Well, I would have to go with uh, Slim Shady, Eminem, and off of his music to be murdered by Side B. The song Higher. Mm. Mm. All right. And here's the closest thing I got to Higher is this one. Listen to this one. Here we go. And we're going to ride out of here because the Higher is you got to rise up. You got to get up. Eminem's from the crib. And this is a little bit of music and where we are. Diversity and energy. You'll feel this on the way out of here. Once again, hey, Chucky, thank you. And we're going to play this song on the way out of here. From the ground up, from the people, turn the sound up.